Hi there, this is Stuart McKee, host of Musicians FAQ Podcast. Please join me weekly where we have music and chat with some of Canada's hottest artists. Welcome back to part two of our tribute to Charlie Watts and the Rolling Stones. 
And that was a song called The Last Time, which was actually the very first song that Mick and Keith wrote together for the Rolling Stones, featuring the late, great Charlie Watts. It may not be the last time that the Stones are on tour. They're probably going to continue on, at least in the short term, but it was the last time we get a chance to hear or see Charlie Watts. So this show is all about Charlie Watts and the Rolling Stones and features some of my friends and some uh, fellow musicians and some fellow Stones fans, including Grant Haywood, Maurice Raymond, Rob Bowman, and Mike McDonald. So sit back, we got an hour of chat and music, enjoy the show. My name is Stuart McKee, this is Musicians FAQ. All right, I'm here talking with Grant Haywood, drummer and singer for Cracker Jack Palace and a whole host of other bands. Grant's got to be the busiest retired musician I've ever met. But uh, we just wanted to chat a little bit this week about Charlie Watts passing and what that meant to uh, to drummers and musicians worldwide, as well as music fans. So what's your what's your impressions with Charlie? How did he affect you? You're a drummer. Yeah, Charlie. Charlie Watts was likely one of the. Uh most consistent drummers in rock and roll that I know of. And I, uh, I uh, don't think people really appreciate it in that much because he wasn't a flash player, but he was really good. He was actually a jazz drummer to begin with. And maybe that's why I kind of gravitated towards him because I always liked Mitch Mitchell from uh, the Jimi Hendrix experience was also a jazz musician. And uh, I, he's one of my uh, favorite drummers. Right. Yeah, Ginger Baker as well. I mean, there seem to be a lot of those guys uh, coming up through the rock sort of league and back in the 60s. So um, do you remember hearing the Stones for the first time? Was there a certain song or did you see them in concert or catch them on television? I know a lot of people talk about seeing them on different shows in the 60s. When was the first time that you saw the Stones or heard the Stones? Well, the first time I saw them, and now I'm dating myself, being the old man that I am, Um they were on the Ed Sullivan show as for the Beatles. And uh, the first album I got of the Rolling Stones was the Ed of Our Heads album. It had Play With Fire, which I really liked that song on there. But my favorite song was The Last Time. And um, yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of Stones albums now, I guess, uh, um, in my collection. I have as many Stones or more Stones albums maybe than the Beatles, but Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, that was my first connection with the, with the Rolling Stones. Yeah. But no, were you one of those guys? There's always that talk of the big competition, the Beatles versus the Stones. And honestly, I was a fan of both. They were both probably my favorite bands and for different reasons. And Stones, I mean, I think more of a, a live band. I mean, they really were one of those rare bands that actually sounded better live than they did on a record. Yeah. That, 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 uh, that thing between the Beatles and, and the Rolling Stones, really, when you think about it and you look back on it, it was likely a commercial ploy. Obviously, the Beatles being kind of like the good guys and the Rolling Stones, should I say, it, being more dark or whatever, uh, likely was a commercial ploy. And, and it certainly worked out for the Rolling Stones, being that they're the, uh, what do they call them, the greatest rock and roll band in the world, certainly the most long-lived rock and roll band in the world. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I have, I, I appreciate both. Uh, I like the, the Beatles because of uh, their great songwriting and harmonies, but 
Richards and, and Jagger as, as writers were just as cool. They were more into the uh, the blues end of things. And uh, yeah, um, they they seemed to follow the Beatles. What was it on her Majesty's Secret Server? What was that album? Oh, Majesty's Satanic Request. Yeah, they, yeah, they was, went down that psychedelic rabbit hole. Yeah, kind of like the Beatles did when they did Sgt. Pepper's and that whole thing, Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's funny, I actually like that record and that record got trashed and, and kind of panned and I think they got out of that sort of groove real quick, but, uh, and I think from time to time, like 2000 light years from home, they'll do some of those old songs, but I mean, I still really love the blues roots with that band and, and uh, you know, I mean, they've certainly progressed over the years, but the longevity factor, I mean, so, you know, we talked about this in some of the other interviews with Rob and with Mike and with Maurice, you know, the different versions of the stones and you had the Brian Jones era and the Mick Taylor era and the Ron Wood era. And, and then, you know, Ian Stewart passed and Bill Wyman's left the band and, people keep asking, you know, when is it going to be the last tour? So now here we are, Charlie's gone and Mick and or Keith always said, you know, without Charlie, there's just, there's just no point. But what do you think? Are they going to carry on? Uh, I think they'll carry on. I think what the audience doesn't understand is that bands evolve and they kind of get, they kind of get into this pigeonhole thing where they only like a certain band. It was kind of like Eddie Van Halen when, when um, David Lee Roth was the lead singer and he was he was fantastic as a lead singer and entertainer but Sammy Hagar came in and uh, he was just as well he was I think he was a better singer but maybe not the entertainer that that David Lee Roth was and you it's kind of like the James Bond thing which James Bond version do you like the best but I uh, no I think they'll continue to play and I think they'll continue to evolve for as long as they want to play. It's going to be difficult without Charlie because he was one of the originals. Yeah, and I think it's where you come into it. And, and it's funny, I'll get a lot of flack for this probably, but my favorite James Bond was Roger Moore. My brother would kill me. His And a lot of people say Sean Connery was a definitive, but I had seen several movies with Roger Moore before I saw the ones with Sean Connery. So to me, it was like, who's this other guy? And I think that happens maybe with the Stones. I mean, I wanted to take my son out this tour and I was really disappointed, you know, crushed when Charlie passed. But I thought for my son, it really won't matter. I mean, he doesn't have the history with the Stones that I did. My real, I mean, I remember consciously and unconsciously hearing them on the radio as a kid and some of those early songs. But for me, it was my brother brought home the live album, Get Your Yaya's Out Around for the 69 tour and Mick Taylor on, on that record. And that was the era for me from sort of on, to like 1974 when when Mick left the band. I love the Ron Wood era as well. Um, you know, so everybody's kind of got their favorite era and they just they just keep evolving. Like you said, they keep changing and evolving. Do you have a favorite eras or favorite songs? I mean, you talked about last time being kind of the first song that you heard. Um, and I think that was the first song they wrote together, but. Um, yeah, I do. I, I have certain uh, facets of, uh, of their career that are, or their recording career, at least anyways. Um, like I said, out of our heads album, I played it to death. I think the grooves are worn out. It. I, I really love that album. And uh, then later on when satisfaction came out, I, I, I remember hearing it. I, I was blown away. Like likely by, you know, a lot of people thought the same thing. I, I couldn't believe how he got that, 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 distorted sound on its guitar with all the reverb on it it was incredible it, it still stands up today yeah. and uh in fact i i do that in a few bands that i play and we still do that song we still get requests 
but I used to do honky tonk women a lot and that too. I think some of my favorite Stones albums would be uh, Exile on Main Street. I thought that I thought that was a superb album. I agree. Uh, and Sticky Fingers too. There's stuff on there that that uh, was really good. And Steel Wheels. Some people think, well, you know, they like the old stuff, but I thought that Steel Wheels was a, a very good album. And I thought it was, uh, you know, had had pushed the uh, the Stones, you know, further down the line. And uh, then they recently, well, I should, I guess, recently, I mean, in the last ten years, they did that blues album. And I don't have it, but I've heard cuts off of it, and I think it's, I think it's great. I think the Stones did it because they just wanted to do do what they used to do, and and they did it very well. I I think. They didn't really care whether it's old records yeah. or not. Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah, it is a really good record. And it, and it's funny. I mean, you know, the Steel Wheels uh, album and that tour. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like they they suddenly kicked in again. I mean, they had a lot of sort of changes and trials and tribulations between Mick and Keith throughout the 80s. And people didn't know if they would survive. I saw them in 81. And then I saw them again on the Steel Wheels tour. And it was a great album, great tour, lots of energy, great hit single again. And you thought, boy, they've done it. They're back. I mean, you know, not that they ever went away, but so, yeah, you never write them off. I mean, you just don't know what's around the corner. It's interesting when you're talking about satisfaction, because I had the privilege of, of doing lights and roading for, for major hoopals with you back in the eighties. And I remember you guys doing satisfaction and you out front with the, uh, the pink spandex and the spiky hair. And, but I mean, it was a great song and you had a chance to really be out there and be, you know, your own version of Mick Jagger and be the front man and, and own the stage. And, and, you know, of course that song's come up in a few conversations I've had this week because Mick Jagger said, you know, I'm not going to be doing satisfaction in my forties or people were asking, are you still going to be doing that in your forties? Well, here he is now and it's coming up on 80 and I'm sure that song's going to be in the set list. Uh, you can't, you can't go without it. Well, you got to keep doing it as long as you can do it. I think with regarding Bill Wyman, or I'm not Bill, I'm sorry, Charlie Watts. Bill Wyman was the other half of the original rhythm section of the Rolling Stones. Bill Wyman on bass and Charlie Watts on drums. And they were kind of like the silent stones, I, I always felt, because uh, being a drummer myself, you're kind of put in the back, but you're actually the heartbeat of the band. Uh, everybody else out front gets to do their thing, and, 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 and that's cool. That's the way bands work. But uh, Bill Wyman and Charlie Watts were a great with rhythm section. When when Bill Wyman left the band, that was half of the Rolling Stones' original rhythm section. Yeah. And now that Charlie's is gone, it can only be replicated by people that can find that 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 soul. You know, yeah, I agree hundred percent. Yeah, and it was unique. I mean, and you know, Keith would obviously lock in with Charlie a lot as well, and that was kind of the the def the kind of define their sound and their style but um yeah i mean i felt that when bill left i mean i thought bill's a great play bass player and i loved his playing and uh you know there's there's going to be steve jordan playing i guess in the short term uh for charlie's spot if the shows continue and then yeah who knows i mean it, it's, it's certainly not going to be the same band now if they do carry on it'll be another version of it i guess you know when brian jones was in the band I thought that they had lost an awful lot because Brian Jones is a writer too and very creative person. Uh, and you said different eras of the Stones. The Beatles didn't have to go through that. They were the Fab Four. And uh, it wasn't until later on after they split up that they went their separate ways. And eventually John Lennon, uh, unfortunately, met his demise and uh, George Harrison passed away from 
from brain cancer and that and just left Ringo and, and, and Paul, which was sad. So they didn't follow the same path or history that the Stones have followed. They've, the Stones have actually got different errors, as you said, because people have either dropped out or passed away or whatever. I just read recently, I should tell you this because I read this in a, and I don't know if anybody else has, but I was reading an article recently because uh, Charlie Watson passed away and it was from um, uh, Keith Richards. And he said that uh, they were playing in Amsterdam, Holland in 1984. And he passed this information along. He says, we were doing the tour and he says, we were staying at a hotel Charlie was in one room and Mick and I shared a room together at the hotel. Well, then um, a phone call, I guess Mick phoned. Yeah, Keith said, Mick phoned up Charlie Watson. He says at 5 a.m. in the morning, he says, where's my drummer? <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie just clicked the phone down and there was silence. 20 minutes later, there was a knock on the door. Keith goes to the door and it's Charlie Watson. He's dressed in his full suit and a nice hat on and, and his clone on and everything. And the first thing Charlie says is, where's Mick? And Keith says, oh, he's just back here in the room. And Charlie busts in through the door, goes past Keith, and he looks at Mick and he says, don't you ever say, where's my drummer? He says, it'll be, where's my singer? And then he clocked them one. Yeah. He said it was a true story. I'd never heard that before. Yeah, and, and you always see Charlie being so laid back. And I mean, you know, and I think that's part of the sadness with him passing this week. I mean, great a musician as he, as he was and how integral to the Stones he was, he just seemed like a genuine person. He seemed like a great guy. And I mean, it's, it's like losing an uncle, I think. It's, he was a family man. He, he, uh, he had always said that he didn't like going on the road. He couldn't wait to get home. And he married his wife, I think, in 1964, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. They had a daughter, and, and he, he's, he said he didn't want to go back on the road, and his wife kept pushing him, saying, no, you should, uh, you got to go out there. Of course, that's what he liked to do. He liked playing drums. He always said he did, and he was a, he was a hell of a drummer. I mean, as simple as Charlie Watts played, that's what's required in yeah. the Stones. I, I agree 100%. Grant, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, it's, a, it's been a sad week for, for Stones fans everywhere for the passing of Charlie Watts, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming in to chat with us, and uh, take hey, care. Thank you very much.
was, of course, the classic Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. All right, next up, we're just going to catch the tail end of our conversation with Mike McDonald. We spoke uh, at length with Mike last week in part one about the Rolling Stones and about Charlie Watts. Uh, but just want to chat a little bit more with Mike and uh, give him a chance to promote his band, Beggar's Banquet, a first-rate Stones tribute band. Mike was also the recipient of the Mel Brown Blues Award last year in Kitchener. When are you guys, are you guys got any gigs coming up with uh, with Beggar's Banquet? Or? Well, we got rained out last week down in Kitchener. Oh geez, <laughs> we nice. uh, we did that. We were at the festival, right. and sure enough, it rained on our side of town. It was dry on the other side of town. Oh, you're kidding. We got nailed, and uh, it rained. And our showtime was seven till eight. It started raining at about ten to seven, and stopped at ten after eight. Oh, figures that. <laughs> Sympathy for the devil. <laughs> yeah, man, not likely. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's been an odd summer here. It almost seems like July and August were kind of reversed. Are you are you playing on your own as well with uh, or with other bands or you guys doing a jam night down there? Um, not really anything here yet. Uh, no. The town is just starting to open up um, as it is everywhere else. But yeah. it's hard to say with this quote unquote fourth wave rolling in. Algoma, the numbers are starting to go up. The numbers are so who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I don't know what Keith Richards would even know what else to do if he wasn't playing. So, <laughs> um, no kidding, he might go to heaven and visit, yeah, or maybe hell. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably comfortable in either place. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, hopefully we get to see you guys out. Uh, you know, it'd be nice if if things do open up and we don't go the other way. I mean, hopefully people get a little smarter and more people get vaccinated. And uh, but I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today, Mike. It's uh, it's been a pleasure right. to to catch up with you again and uh, hopefully we'll catch you live somewhere soon. Well, beggars banker, we're talking about doing a show. We did the festival and okay. uh, we spoke about doing a show in November okay. in conjunction with the museum's uh, Rolling Stones exhibit. Uh, yes. Right. And yes. I had been in touch with the people at the museum and we were going to do something last year at New Year's. Um, but that all kind of fell apart. I guess part of it was COVID, part of it was financial issues. Um, so I'm hoping that that comes around. We may be involved with the museum. I'm not sure. But if not, we're talking about doing a show in conjunction with the museum show anyways. And that'll be sometime in November. Well, great. We'll look forward to that for sure then. And what yeah. about yourself? Are you, are you still writing and uh, working on music at home? or uh, Myself and taking my, time to enjoy the family well yeah i've got grandchildren here um i'm working with uh, wayne bond i just finished producing um uh, a cd for uh, pete pete temple pete yeah. temple and the cornerstones that just got released um wayne and i are also i i have an album in the can i think there's like two songs left to do right. but he's in Cambridge and I am in Sault Ste. Marie, yeah. so it's not all that easy. We're doing stuff online back and forth now, but um, when it comes to stuff like that, we all we all have to be in the same room. Um, there's an energy that comes from people being together in a room, uh, just like a band rehearsal. You can sit down and rehearse your parts like crazy by yourself until you get to the band rehearsal and the bass player tells you, well, you're doing that wrong. <laughs> which I'm sure you've been through at one oh, point or another. Heck yeah. 
Yeah, there, I mean, there's nothing like face to face. I mean, and this is this has sadly become the new normal at the moment. But uh, you know, hopefully, yeah. we, hopefully, we get back to the point where we can actually sit in a bar and have a conversation and a beer with somebody. And you know, absolutely. Up. Well, the um, energy there's an energy that um, that comes out of people being in the same room. Yeah. Um, the Chinese call it chi. When you're in the same room, all of a sudden the chi gets big. Absolutely. Well, Mike Montreal, thank you once again. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And thanks for uh, giving us uh, your impressions of uh, this very sad week and the passing of Charlie Watts.
That was Spider and the Fly, an old Jagger and Richards classic from the early Stones days. A favorite of Mike McDonald's and a favorite of mine as well. Next up, Maurice Raymond from The Blushing Brides. Yeah, I mean, it goes back for sure. But uh, so interesting point as we're as you're talking about um, Charlie's um, effect on the music and the Stones and, and not being somebody that you can um, replace, really. I mean, and Keith always said that. Um, you know, they've gone through from Brian Jones to Mick Taylor to Ronnie Wood. You know, they've lost Bill Wyman along the way. Um, you know, obviously they have some commitments with this tour. How do you see it playing out? Do you think they're going to play the shows? Do you think they'll cancel? Do you think they'll go on after? I mean, you know, um, I guess as fans, we probably go, oh, God, you can't go on without Charlie. But I mean, it's not for us to say. I think unless somebody else dies, uh even, and even if it was Ronnie, I think that Mick and Keith will continue. Yeah. Um, I think that it will be different, but it'll be what it is. Um, you know, there's a number of reasons why you would speculate why they would keep going. A lot of people say it's because they need the money, because their umbrella, their economic umbrella that, you know, they, they, they support is so large that they have to continue to work, even though they're so rich. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one is, is obviously they love to play music and they love to perform. They're the consummate rock and roll band. And uh, it won't be the same without Charlie. Obviously, Steve Jordan is a brilliant drummer and he's fantastic, but he's not Charlie. There's no way he could do what Charlie does. And like losing Bill Wyman. uh, What happened was, you know, Daryl Jones just sort of kept the essence, but did all his own stuff. And it actually helped in some regards, you know, in, well, helped. It just made it different. It's still good, but it's different. So I don't know if people, the fans, see, there's, there's a thing out there, you know, that there's a lot of really diehard Stones fans. Like there's a group out there called the Shadoobies who, you know, follow them everywhere. Um, uh, Doug Potash has a group that Shadoobies that he formed. And they're, they're quite, uh, you know, a lot of them are quite opinionated on how and what the stone should be. You know, Keith once said, oh, without Charlie, we don't go on the road because it's not the stones. Well, they're holding him to that. A lot of them going, oh, no, Keith said it. That's it. No more stones. No, no. You know, and well, yeah, but you know, they're human beings. Look, I'll never stop playing music. I'll never stop performing. As long as there's an audience, you know, you you can well tell I I can really chat it up. Um, So I understand where they're coming from. I mean, even if Ronnie went, they would find another soloist to get in there. It wouldn't be the same. It would be different. When Brian Jones left, all they did was evolve into a rock. They went from a blues band into a rock and roll band. From Mick Taylor, they went into, you know, that pure soloist within the rock band to Ronnie and Keith weaving guitars, even though Ronnie is considered the soloist. Uh, and it's just is what it is. It's, it's, it's really fascinating that that band, like, I kind of, when you sit back, you have to... There's a little bit of awe you have to sort of go, Jesus H, 
Like they've almost played as many shows as the Blushing Brides. Not quite. So <laughs> someday they'll catch up. Someday they'll catch up. Well, yeah, I mean, and and it does evolve and continue to change. And I think Keith is and Mick and both said it's kind of uncharted territory. Like nobody's been where we've been. So we'll see. Uh, you know, and he always referenced the old blues guys playing right till the end. And uh, so I have no doubt in some form or another he'll he'll keep going uh, until he drops. Yeah, who's to say who's to say what is you know, people, you know, I love it's always a columnist or some kind of critic, yeah. uh, you know, writing an opinion piece about them saying, well, you know, it's, you know, really bad seeing them do this. And, you know, and yes, Mick wrote when he was 30 that he doesn't see himself singing Satisfaction at 40, but now he's 70, pushing 80 and he's still doing it. Well, here's the thing. People want to hear it. And people want to see him and people want to see them and people enjoy the spectacle. They enjoy the music. Obviously it's not the most complicated and complex music, but there's something about it that has touched, you know, the, 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 the uh, general pop culture out there. Something touched our soul. When you hear the riff to jumping Jack flash, everybody knows, oh, Holy shit. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Oh, Jack flash. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody gets that kind of, mm. and everybody has stood in the mirror and done the little jagger, you know, sort yeah. of, you know, rooster. Everyone's done it. Hmm, I wonder, do I, yeah, do I have that move? Yeah. Um, so what is it about them? What is it? And when it comes down to it, I think that they just, and this is something that somebody once said to me, they said, you really don't give a fuck, do you? You just go and do your show and it doesn't matter. And I said, yeah, I don't even really think about it. And I don't think the Stones really think about it. They do their show and somehow they've touched a nerve that has just gone on. Just everybody goes, why are the, why the Rolling Stones? What is it that makes them so cool? What is it makes them, you know, everybody want to go there and say, yeah, I went to the Stone show, man. It was great. Yeah. 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 Or it was awful. But it was still cool. Yep. It doesn't matter. It's the stones. So who knows? Like, I don't I don't even know how you write the history of it. You know, you you I've read so many articles, rather, on the stones and why and this and that. But I gotta tell you, it's not explainable. I agree. It it's not, other than it's the most base. They touch the most base human instincts of us all. And we go, yeah. You know, that little bit of. Yeah. They always had a little bit of. For sure. And I, and I think it's interesting as they get older and continue to go on. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like when your parents pass, I mean, it's, it's suddenly you're the next in line. So, I mean, I think there's a little bit of immortality for all of us. You know, I mean, I saw the Stones in 81 when I was 16, and now here I am coming up on 60 and kind of going, yeah, I wouldn't mind taking my son out to see them. He's never seen them. And, and I think it's kind of our own immortality that, you know, as long as they're still going, then, then I'm still going. <laughs> I took my son when he was 12, uh, my oldest boy, Jesse. Uh, and um, I think that if he had a chance, he would take his, my granddaughter's, I really think he would. That'd be awesome. Like I think he he would he wouldn't hesitate to take him because he 
You know, he said something very funny to me. Like, um, he's very hard, tough, you know, guy. And he, he sent me a text. He said, Dad, I, I, I'm kind of broke up about Charlie. It's like, oh, my goodness. You know, he's a bit of a right wing guy, too. You know, he's not a lefty. So I said, oh, that's interesting. He goes, you know, the Rolling Stones have been part of my life since I was born. I've, uh, they were the soundtrack that I heard inside my mother's womb. And I went, wow. He said, that beat that, that I heard was Charlie Watts. Yeah. And he also said, he always appeared to me to be a very sweet, soft, and kind person. And that, for some reason, touched me. He said, I, it, it actually brought me to tears when I realized he was no longer here. And that kind of summed it up for me. It, it made me a little emotional and it made me think about Charlie and how um, through the hurricane, through the tornado, through the, the, uh, the hellish, you know, fire and brimstone, there was always the Wembley Whammer, just stoic, little ba-boom, ba-da-dum, boom 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 you could always count on charlie that little Char- sheepish that little sheepish grin <laughs> charlie is my darling as they say yeah well and it's funny i mean because i think that's what it is i mean i think your son nailed it and in, in every respect i mean i was talking the other day and about how yeah i don't remember a life before the stones i mean you know i wasn't and i guess even more so for him because you're in a the stones tribute band um so you know he's probably out there at shows uh, when your wife is pregnant and for me it's just I don't remember ever a time I mean I don't, I don't consciously remember hearing them for the first time but I just you know their songs are always on the radio I was born in the 60s grew up in the 70s and it was just always there and I had older brothers and sisters bringing the records home and mm. yeah I mean and I think it is is despite how great a drummer Charlie was it um, you know you hear so many people talking about what a great father he was what a great person he was a great grandfather he was and I think, yeah, that's what it is. I mean, when I first saw it and I didn't hear anything about him being sick, I must've had my head up my ass for the last few weeks prior to that. Um, So when he went, it was such a shock. I was, you know, I was like, no. And then I teared up, (laughs) you know, it was just. Yeah. And I knew something was up. Like he had had cancer, uh, throat cancer and that, but he seemed to beat that. But it was just, uh, I just had a feeling something was up for Charlie to, actually cancel and not play seemed a bit odd and that a friend of mine who sent me a a a messenger message and said that he had heard that steve jordan knew about this like three or four months ago Mm, okay so there was more happening but i don't think the stones wanted to let on because you know there's ticket sales there's this that that did he did he there's a big financial commitment that these guys have and there's millions of dollars at stake. Um, well, what do you do? What do you do? Do you just, it, it, there's no right answers. Charlie was Charlie. They'll never replace him. They'll never be another like him. They're just like they'll never be another Elvis. They'll never be another Mick Jagger. They'll never be another John Lennon. They'll, they are who they are. They'll never be another Howlin' Wolf you know, or Muddy or uh, James Cotton or that they just won't, but 
their essence, their what they touched us with will always be there, will always be there. It will always be there. And that's the most fascinating thing about these icons that we, we that, this, that our pop culture has created, you know? And it's not different from, you know, our parents. You know, my parents were very old. My father was born in 1909 and my mother like, 1930 1920 so they had their icons you know Frank Sinatra was huge huge like he was a huge star like he was like you know a sort of Beatles or you know there was girls screaming for him and Dean Martin and those people and they never forgot those people right to the very end where they were you know hanging on by a thread they always reverted back to what they learned. There's a great saying a friend of mine used to say, you are what you learn at your mother's knee. And I was sitting watching the Ed Sullivan show with my parents and my older sister learning about the Rolling Stones in 1964. And it, from that moment on, it changed my life. I had no idea I'd be doing this. I mean, come on. I'm 63 years old and I've been doing this for almost... You know, I started singing when I was 12 years old on street corners doing Stones music. So I'm 51 years into this. Yeah. I had no idea it would last that long. And it would take me through this life of, you know, family, raising two boys, uh, grandchildren, talking to you uh, on Zoom about, uh, you know, the great and immortal Charlie Watts. There you go. Well, on that note, it's a perfect spot to leave it. Maurice Raymond, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Mine as well. Thank you, brother. Really a pleasure. Thank you, Kyle. Take care. Be well. See you. you
That was Ventilator Blues from the Rolling Stones classic album Exile on Main Street, a favorite song of our next and final guest on this episode, Rob Bowman. So where do you, I mean, where do you see it going now? Like, do you think they'll carry on with it, Charlie? I mean, they've got some tour commitments, obviously, that... Uh... It's hard to say. You know, Keith always said, no Charlie, no Stones. Yeah. So when, beginning of August, it was announced Charlie was sick and had to have an emergency procedure and that he couldn't play the tour, I was really stunned that they just didn't cancel the tour. Yeah, me too. Now, although I don't have any inside information, but now that Charlie's passed away, I'm beginning to think that Charlie and the rest of the band knew he was terminal. And because they, they made a big deal, that, Charlie made a big deal in, this, in the statements when they announced he wouldn't be on the tour, that he had picked Steve Jordan, who's logical, makes yeah. sense, yeah. and that uh, he had wanted them to play the tour. So if they knew, and Charlie knew that he was going to pass away, and Charlie said to him, look, I'm going, but there's no reason that you shouldn't keep playing, and there's no reason our fans aren't going to want to see the Rolling Stones, that may have that may have changed things. And maybe that's why they agreed to go ahead and do it. Because I was shocked at the time. I thought, give me a break. He can't play. Cancel the tour. Do it next year when he's ready. Yeah, but yeah. if he never was going to be ready again. So we'll see. Um, I still think that tour might get canceled because of COVID. Although the promoter just yesterday put out a statement saying absolutely not. Because, uh, you know, been, people have been asking because of Charlie, will he cancel? And um, there's a lot of money, obviously, in these stadium shows. Yeah. Um, but I, st- I actually do hope they cancel just for public safety. I think they should. And um, they, you know, they may be desperate to play because, uh, let's face it, any one of the rest of them could go too. I don't, I'm not being more, but I've always feared of this the last many years because of that age, anything can happen. And they may be desperate to get one more American tour in because the rumors have been for much of this year. America this summer or fall, and then England or maybe Europe and England next year, and final shows in London, and that would be it. Yeah. And it so would the plan, sense. and that would be the 60th anniversary next summer. So wow. the plan, <laughs> the plan has been, if that is the plan, obviously interrupted by Charlie's death, but perhaps with Charlie's blessing, they intend to complete that plan, uh, and, and which means you sort of got to get America in now because they can't tour America and Europe and England next year. They don't have the stamina for that at that age. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I was thinking the same thing, you know, I've read Keith's book and I've heard Keith say many times, you know, Charlie's a heart and soul and without him, you know, there's no way, but um, yeah, things change and people's perspectives change. And I I've been consciously aware of that the last couple of years with COVID and all the shutdowns, a lot of these, I mean, Elton John's tour was stopped. His farewell tour was stopped. Bob Seger just got his in before the COVID locked everything down and, you know, David Crosby and people like that are saying, you know, it'd be great to get out and play. And some of them are actually at this point still relying on money. I mean, I saw that he sold his catalog. Um, but, you know, you got to wonder at this point, like, this is my last hurrah. I just want to get out and play one more time, do one more tour. And and then that's going to be it. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously got to be on everybody's mind. Um, but, you know, Neil Young recently just pulled out of uh, Farm Aid. And then Neil released another statement today saying how dangerous he thinks it is for these bands to stay out there mm-hmm. and uh, applauding people like Garth Brooks, who's canceled the rest of the stadium shows because of COVID. Right. Neil's attitude is, you know, not only should we be protecting our fans, 
what about our fans who get it at one of these shows or asymptomatic and go home, hug their kids, and then their kids get it, the neighborhood kids get it. Neil is so much more mature and so much more responsible and so less obsessed with, can I make more millions? Yeah. None of these people were speaking of, except maybe Crosby because he blew all his money. None of these people <laughs> need that money. Yeah. And yes, they're musicians, they want to play, but there's something called responsibility um, to your fans and to the larger sense of humanity and the community and any community you go into. And I personally think it's irresponsible for bands to be playing big shows at this point. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I, I was surprised that they were coming back. Well, I, I shouldn't say surprised. I mean, uh, you know, because we know things are very divided. There's, you know, one camp that's saying this whole thing is overrated and let's just get back to reality. And then there's the other side that's being sensible and responsible um you know and there are some fence sitters for sure but i mean at an indie level i get it a lot of these bands it's been tough i mean but i found even a lot of indie musicians they found other things to do during the shutdown i mean i started this radio show during the shutdown there's lots of other avenues that people have and and the industry is adapting to sort of the new normal um but yeah i also, I, I, I also I, get it on an indie level and those people can play smaller shows Right. And especially during the, the good weather, um, there's been, you know, I just saw my first show since COVID began. It was outdoors in Burlington. Um, and there were, you know, there were a hundred tickets spaced out, yep. but then there was a fence that people could actually stand behind the fence and watch for free. And I think it was underwritten with um, grant money. Uh, so the band got paid well at that show, which is nice because they don't often, but um, there could be live music safely. Um, I agree. That's different than putting 50, 60,000 people in a stadium and having a pit yeah. where people are just crammed as close to the stage as possible. Uh, very different thing. Yeah. And no you know, you can put in vaccination requirement regulations, but they mean nothing. People are selling bootleg vaccination certificates outside of American shows for 50 bucks a pop. That's Here's right. a bootleg t shirt for 20. Here's a bootleg vaccination certificate for 50. Same person selling them. Yeah. I mean, it's it's well known all all over the place in the concert world yeah. um and no you know none of the big bands need this kind of money no i agree and and yeah, i'm kind of over the big shows anyways i mean the last bunch of years i've been really going to the smaller shows and yeah, i think the indie bands have done a great job and so have the venues i've been to a bunch as well and they've done a great job with spacing people out. when i was at the blues fest here in kitchener you know a lot of people were just watching the concert from the other side of the fence sitting on top of their car you know, at least six to 10 feet apart from each other, masks on, even outside. And I think that's, you know, people, and that, that becomes the thing with the vaccine. I don't want to get into that sort of can of worms, but, you know, it's not, it was never guaranteed that the, that the vaccine is going to make you invincible. It's still, we have to practice all these other measures along with it. And social distancing and masks are a big part of it. You can't social distance if you're in a stadium for sure. Uh, with full capacity. No, and the problem is the unvaxxed people, that, you yeah, know, uh, vax people, you know, there are breakthrough infections and they can um, be contagious. But if everybody's vaxxed, very few people are going to die. We're not going to overtax our healthcare system. Right. Um, it's, it's a controllable thing. And less chance for more mutations like the Delta to develop. If everybody got vaxxed immediately, Delta might not have happened to us. I agree. That's what I keep saying, too. It's a shame. And, and a lot of places, they had the vaccines. I mean, you know, and then you've got Eric Clapton and Van Morrison that have gone to crazy town. And so uh, what do you uh, think? 
Yeah, that's unfortunate. But anyway. Um, so back to Charlie. I mean, so, um, you know, favorite songs, favorite, favorite shows. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where um, do you start, right? <laughs> yeah, I could list dozens of songs. I mean, I, I got up some obscure favorites like Ventilator Blues, which they only ever played live once or twice at the beginning yeah. of the 72 tour in Vancouver and Seattle, I believe. I adore that song. I've never understood why they never played it on stage other than those two shows. Mm. Um, you know, Sway for a long time was a song I wanted badly, but they did play it a few times live. They played it at the rehearsal I was at, um, oh, cool. which was very, very, very cool. Uh, I, you know, Loving Cup, Soul Survivor, that's a song they've never played live. I think it's amazing. But, you know, Jumpin' Jack Flash might be my all-time favorite, even though, of course, the song they play constantly, and we all have heard a thousand times. Every time I hear it, I still think it's it's incredible that it was ever created. Yeah. I mean, it's such a unique-sounding record. And back in 68, when it came out, it was revolutionary. I was walking in my neighborhood down to... A, um, as, you know, store to buy a butterscotch sucker. I remember it like this. I was 12. I had a transistor to my ear, um, a transistor radio. And I suddenly heard that bum, bum. And I didn't know why, what was different, but I knew it was different. And it was mind bogglingly exciting. Later, of course, I learned Keith was using open tuning. He'd taken the bottom string off the guitar. So he's only using five strings, different tuning. He's voicing chords in a way that we haven't heard before really in rock music. Blues yeah. players have used open tuning forever, but they weren't playing power chords either no. that way. And that had a lot to do with the sound on that record. Plus there's four different guitar riffs embedded in it. It's an astonishing, astonishing record. And Keith always said, I mean, he said it to me, but he said it in, in a number of interviews that he always would find new things when he played that song. When people ask him, don't you get tired of playing this all the time? And he'd go, no, every time we turn something different. And I agree with him. I mean, I've heard it a billion times and every time I get something new and different out of it. So, you know, if I had to just pick one, I might pick that. Wow. Uh, but I also, you know, I said I have these favorites that, uh, you know, also, you know, there's lots of my rare favorites I've heard. You know, I've heard him do Hearts of Stone at a club show. Um, I've heard him do Torn and Frayed at a club show, which oh, I've never heard. That they do nice. things at club shows they don't play yeah. elsewhere. I heard, saw them do Everybody Needs Somebody to Love in L.A. at a small theater show with Solomon Burke duetting with them. That was phenomenal. I love their version of that. Uh, that's how strong my love is. Their cover of Otis Redding's song, that turned me on to Otis Redding when I was nine when that came out. Um, I saw them do that twice, both in L.A., once at a club show, once at a small theater show. So I've been lucky. I've seen them do many of my even rare favorites. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Soul Survivor and Ventilator Blues has managed to escape me all these years. Uh, what can I say?
Hello, this is Mason McKee, and you are listening to Musicians FAQ on CKMS 102.7 Radio Waterloo with my dad, Stuart McKee. Thank you for listening to Musicians FAQ Podcast with your host, Stuart McKee. We're here every week with great Canadian musical artists 